thank you so much for your love for us. We thank you for the privilege that you give us to gather as a church family uh, in the course of the week and all the different services that uh, we get to host on our campus. And we thank you for a place. We thank you that we have a church where, Lord, we can, we can meet and, Lord, where we can come together and pray and study and share life, break bread together in fellowship and just genuinely love and care for each other the way that, Lord, you desire that we do. I thank you for Sundays in particular where, Lord, we can come into this place and set our hearts to, to love you and to appreciate you and to, Lord, count our blessings throughout the course of the week. And God, that you faithfully have brought us to this place. And, and so, Lord, we do that first and foremost. We just say that we love you and that, uh, Lord, we need you. And uh, Lord, this morning as we open our service, we, we want to lift up Chris to you. And uh, Lord, you know everything about his body. You know the things that he suffered in this injury. Um, Lord, I thank you for the doctors that you've placed, uh, Lord, specifically uh, in his path, Lord, that would come in contact with him. And may their hands and their minds, Lord, be anointed from heaven as they work on his body. Would it be just as if you, Lord, yourself uh, were the one who was doing the work. And may he sense your peace and your comfort and even your joy in the midst of this trial. And we pray for his wife. We pray, Lord, that you bring her peace. I know the distress that comes with uh, the unknown. And I know that the enemy is there. He's relentless. Uh, he's a thief and a liar. And he comes only to steal and to kill and destroy. And so may you put a hedge of protection around uh, their thought process. Uh, may you uh, just, uh, again, use the body of Christ to, to love them during this time and to hold them up. And Lord, to share your word. Uh, Lord, that we would get words that come from you and to be able to share your love with them. And Lord, we thank you for, for David, for David Madison today. Lord, we thank you for his life and his ministry in our church. We pray, Lord, you would just bless this next year of his life and just continue to use him. Uh, Lord, grow him in the knowledge of Jesus and, and the things that he puts his hands to and, and work. Lord, may you prosper him and meet the needs of, of him and his family. And we just, we love him and we appreciate him. And Lord, for every person here, God, there, there's, uh, there's so many needs that, uh, Lord, as I look out, uh, that sit before me, uh, spoken and unspoken, God. And I just thank you that you're here today. I thank you that your Holy Spirit is moving in this place. I thank you that you're alive, Lord, that we're not talking to the wall or just throwing a, our voices towards the heavens today, but we're talking with the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords who's capable of all things and the things that are even impossible with, with man are possible with God. And so, Lord, I pray that you would stir the heart of your church today. Those things that, Lord, we need from you, that, God, we would ask. Your word says to seek and to find, to ask, and, and it shall be open to knock, Lord, to continually come before you and, and, and not give up hope. And so, Lord, I pray that, Lord, those things that we were asking of you today, that, God, you would you would bring to pass, and Lord, not that our will would be done, but your will on earth as it is in heaven. And so as we open up your word now in the book of Philippians, may you minister to our hearts, Lord. We, may we be attentive to your word, and Lord, may it transform us, Lord. May it make us more like you. That, that's our hope and our prayer today, Lord Jesus, that as we leave this place, we would be changed from the inside out, not from the outside in, not pressured or, or feel condemned in any way whatsoever, 
but that, Lord, by your love, that you continually draw us. And, Lord, by your blood, you wash us and you cleanse us. And by your life, Lord, you, you prompt us and move us forward into all the things that you have for us. And so, Lord, may we tap into those things today as we seek you in your word. Be glorified, we pray, in the wonderful name of Jesus. And all God's children said, amen, amen. Well, if you would, turn with me to uh, uh, the book of Philippians I always look at this series as kind of a little series on joy-filled living, you might say. And I think in all of our lives, we would all want more and more joy, and it's definitely possible. This, you might say, as you study the book of Philippians, is God's blueprint for joy-filled living. We're going to look at verses 1 through 11 here this morning and talk about the source of our joy. So I'll have you read this with me. We'll pick it up in verse 1. It says, Paul and Timothy, bondservants of Jesus Christ, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are in Philippi with the bishops and the deacons, grace to you and peace from God our Father and Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God upon every remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine, making request for you with all joy for your fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now, being confident of this very thing, that he who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. Just as it's right for me to think of you all, because I have you in my heart, inasmuch as both in my chains and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel, you all are partakers with me of grace. For God is my witness, how greatly I long for you all with the affection of Jesus Christ. And this I pray that your love may abound still more and more in the knowledge and all discernment that you may approve the things that are excellent, that you may be sincere without offense until the day of Christ, being filled with the fruits of righteousness, which are by Jesus Christ to the glory and the praise of God. And so, you know, that's a great place to kind of jump off right there is Paul, as if you remember just a little backstory here, he's writing to the church there in Philippi, a church that he planted uh, it was actually the first church that he started there in Europe. And uh, you can go back and study this in the book of Acts in chapter 16 there. And uh, again, there was a probably the, the very first convert that he made there in Europe was a woman named Lydia. And we also read about, you know, in the book of Philippians, some of the difficulties that Paul faced along the way. Uh, it's four uh, chapters, 104 verses, and they are just packed with, like I said, with joy. Uh, it's interesting when you think about Philippi, you know, as a city, it was a Gentile city. It was, it was heavily uh, populated with Gentiles, so much so that there was very few Jewish people there to the point that there was no synagogue. And, and we know that because uh, in, in Jewish practice, if there were 10 adult males, uh, there was supposed to be a synagogue in that city. So there was very little Jewish presence there. And so when there wasn't a synagogue, the Jews would find themselves looking for a place that would kind of be a reflection of God. And usually they like places with water and flowing water at that, living water. And so here they are uh, having church, you might say, down there by the river. And it's where Paul would come upon them and uh, where he ultimately will lead uh, Lydia to the Lord. And uh, there was, you know, in that city, if you recall, there was uh, one of the interesting things. There was a demon-possessed girl that uh, she was uh, one who was a, a fortune teller, would foretell the future, and made a lot of money for her masters. So here's Paul and uh, Silas uh, that are there. And uh, this, this demon-possessed girl is following Paul around. And you can kind of, it's almost humorous, as she's following him around and she's saying, you know, listen to these men for they tell the way of salvation. 
Well, what she was saying was true, but she was known as someone who, you know, was demon possessed. And so this, it, it, you know, in scripture says it greatly irritated Paul. You can just kind of picture this, you know, this person's walking around going, listen to them. They, everything they say is, you know, it's of God. And he's just like, you know, buzz off, you know, just leave, leave me alone. And, and the scripture says, like I said, it greatly displeased uh, 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 Paul so much so that he cast the demon out of her. And uh, then that obviously made her handlers, her masters, you know, mad. And so uh, they, you know, accused Paul and Silas. We, we've heard this word uh, a few times in the last uh, couple months, insurrection. Uh, they accused him of, of creating an insurrection there. You know, they had loss of income and it kind of cramped their style. And so uh, they said that, you know, Paul and Silas were there teaching, you know, false ways and stirring up the people. And so ultimately Paul and Silas uh, were beaten and thrown into prison here. And uh, they weren't just thrown into prison, but they were thrown into the center of the prison. They were in the deepest part of, of the prison. This is where the, the, the worst of the worst, this is where the rats hung out, you could say. I mean, it, it, you can't get to a more disgusting place. And yet you find something that, that it's an amazing story, you know, that we read in the book of Acts that at midnight, what do, what do we find Paul and Silas doing? Singing, they're worshiping. Yeah, they're in what you might say the worst circumstances of their life. And one of the reasons this came up to me, you know, early on is in the midst of COVID, because for many of us, you know, uh, being isolated, being at home and being stuck and not being able to be around people in a sense, you'd hear people use the, the phrase, they go, man, I just feel like I'm in prison. And and you go, well, uh, how how's your joy meter? You know, your 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 attitude is the key to your altitude, you know, so to speak. And, and you'd see people, their joy just had, had crashed. And what we realize is that so many people, their perspective of joy is really more about happiness. You know, we talk about, we shared this in Second Peter as well, that, you know, our happiness is tied to our happenings, but our joy is tied to Jesus. And again, and it's so important to know that. And so, again, that's one of the reasons why this book, you know, was so important to me to study personally because of all the things that were going on and be able to offer people some assistance in looking forward into the things that the Lord would have for us. And so here they are singing, you know, their praise songs, worshiping the Lord at midnight. And what happens is an earthquake happened, right? And, and it says that, and the chains fell off, you know, the shackles fell off and ultimately, you know, they could have escaped, but they didn't leave. They stayed right there. And the jailer who was responsible for him, you remember, he's looking around and he realizes that, you know, the, all the, all the prison doors are open, but nobody left. And he's thinking, you know, that he's going to die. He's, you know, he's about ready to kill himself. And then Paul yells out to him, Hey, you don't, you know, oh, oh we're still here. And so they end ultimately lead this jailer to the Lord. And you think about the circumstances of your life and the situations that God places you in. And, and sometimes we're, we're put in situations and we're put in places that we would never choose, you know, on our own, but God's placed us there. And, and unfortunately, you know, we get into circumstances and situations in life and we just try to get out of it if it's uncomfortable at all. Because when we think that, you know, we must have listened to way too much health and wealth and prosperity doctrine that, you know, God just wants me to always be happy and that, you know, there's no pain and, you know, that Jesus took it all and, not realizing, you know, that uh, as the Apostle Paul will tell us, you know, in, in verse 21, which is a really interesting verse, if you go further in the chapter, and we'll cover it in more detail later, but he says, for me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. And that's not like some thought that, you know, he's going, you know, it's like he hates life, and he just wants off this planet. 
No, he's saying for me to live as Christ. And, and, it's, and this is really the key in this whole thing of even COVID and everything else. Like I said, I told you this from the very onset of COVID. I go, I hope to God, I wish to God that in five years from now that you will look back on your life and you will be pleased with the life that you were living during COVID because you didn't just, you know, hunker down and shut down and, and you know, live in fear, but you lived by faith. And that, that's what Paul is basically saying there in verse 21. He said, you know, that for me to live as Christ, because guess what? It doesn't make any difference. It's like Chris today, you know, injured, gone through a, a major surgery. Not sure, you know, if he'll, he'll walk again. Our hope and prayer is that, you know, he'll, he'll heal completely and he'll be back to riding his bike and doing the things that he enjoys doing. But that hasn't robbed him of his joy because his, his joy isn't, it's unshakable because his joy is in Jesus. And so much of, you know, of our life, like I said, we, we, it's circumstantial, you know, that we just go, oh, you know, uh, Jesus is good when everything's going good. But when, man, when the bottom has fallen out, you know, it's like, oh, you know, where's God, you know, and, and, you know, why is God doing this to me, 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 where what you'll learn from the apostle Paul is that his focus wasn't ever on himself. It wasn't even on the people in Philippi, as we'll read. His focus and his attention was always on God. And when he became God-centered, and if you want joy in your life, the more God-centered you are, the more joy you will experience in your life. You know, again, it's like your knowledge of God is directly proportionate to your joy that comes from God. And, and again, as here's Paul, like I said, saying, you know, the for me to live is Christ. So he's going, because what he understood is, like I said, what Chris was understanding today, no matter where you're at, Jesus is right there. That you, you couldn't, as the psalmist declared, where can you go from the presence of God? Is there any place? He said, if, you, if you're in the heavens, you make your bed in the heavens, where's God? He's right there. If you make your, your bed in the grave, where's God? He's right there. Nothing, as Paul would write in Romans chapter 8, nothing can separate you from the love of God that's in Christ Jesus. So now you can start to see in verse 21. So when Paul says, for me to live as Christ, what was it? To live is to experience Jesus in whatever circumstance you're in. And we could go around the sanctuary today. We could have you call in from at home and go, everybody's in a different place. And guess what? God is there. He's a big God, amen? And, and that should do what? That should bring us peace because if God is sovereign and God's in control, no matter what's going on, whether I understand it or not, he's working in all these things. And that's exactly what Paul will be driving home here. And that's why we can all have joy today when our joy is in Jesus. If your joy is in this world, guess what? Goodbye. It's gone. It breaks. It falls apart. It goes out of style. It moves away. It dies. You know, whatever. But Jesus, no, he's the same what? Yesterday, today, and forever. And so Paul's bringing us back, you know, and again, to this point. And so as he's writing this letter, it starts off. And again, and you'll think about, you know, if you want to have more joy in your life, probably the first thing that you could do is learn to be thankful. Really. Gratitude. Because you can see the, the, the problem with ingratitude. Like I said, I always just take you back, just read Romans 1. You want to see what happens to a world of people that are full of ingratitude? Read Romans 1. And guess what you'll see? You'll see a composite of the world today in which we live. And you'll see why there are so many people that are angry. You know that two-thirds, and this is reported on so many different levels and so many fronts, over two-thirds of the people who live in the United States today will tell you that they are not satisfied. 
that they're not happy. Two-thirds of the people are unhappy that live in the United States of America today. And you can go to a third world country, and man, what are they doing? They're walking thousands of miles to try to get into this country, right? I mean, it's that old expression, and we're learning it as a country. You never realize how good you have it until what? Until you don't have it any longer, you know? And what you find in, in this, though, from a theological standpoint, you know, Paul's going, it doesn't make any difference. You know, he says, I've learned to be content with what? Whether I had a lot or whether I had a little, because guess what? Jesus is the same regardless of it. And so here is, you know, Paul in this thank you letter. He's now in a Roman prison. <laughs> this is later on in his life. Think about this. You know, he's, he's, you know, he's writing from a Roman prison. You know, so in prison, you think about this. Prison isn't necessarily a bad thing, you know, in, in someone's life. There's a lot of time for reflection. And here's Paul reflecting. And, and uh, so what does, he, what does he do? He thinks about this church there in, in Philippi. And he thinks about the blessing that they were. You know, you, you think about uh, uh, all the people that would minister to Paul. You know, he, he, uh, who do I want to say her name? Uh, Epaphroditus, yeah, Epaphroditus. So ministers to Paul. And you think about why is that so important, you know, in a prison? Well, you got to understand prison life in Paul's day. It's not like in our day today. In Paul's day, you could die of malnourishment in prison. The only way you could survive is if you had family members or friends or you had somebody that brought you food. Kind of remind me of that, you know, when the, the old thing when you bake the cake and you put a file in the cake, right? And you'd bring it, you know, and then they'd file, <laughs> they'd file it. Well, Paul wasn't, he didn't need a file. He wasn't trying to, he wasn't trying to get out. But, but they, brought, they brought food to him. They nourished him. And so he's thinking about that as here he is in prison. He spent a lot of time in prison. And thank God for the family members and friends, because what usually they say when, when trouble's coming your way, you know, everybody else is going the opposite direction, right? But your friends, they said, you know, your friends won't come visit you in prison. Most likely your friends would what? They'll be with you in prison. And that's kind of how it was, you know, for Paul. Paul's there, you know, with Silas. You know, Paul is, is going through the, these trials, like I said, and yet he doesn't think that God has abandoned him at all during, during this period of time at all. And so he's writing this letter, and uh, he, again, he's not, he's not talking about being imprisoned, you know, while he was there, because like I said, he's, he's somewhere else. He's most likely in a, in a Roman prison that we see uh, from this letter in, in, in Philippians, uh, but he uses this word joy. And if you're a note taker, you might write this down. He used the word joy 59 times in the book of Philippians. And that's just the noun. It doesn't count the verb, you know, rejoice. He uses that multiple times as well. And like I said, there's a difference between happiness and joy. And I think we need to really focus in and learning that because so much of what's happened during COVID, you know, you, you just find people are miserable. I mean, they've just become so unhappy at a time when, like I said, there is so much ministry opportunity, probably more now than ever has existed. I know in my lifetime, you know, Larry and I were talking about this and Ron uh, in our elders meeting this last week, uh, Larry was talking about listening to Pastor Joe Foch from Calvary Chapel, Philadelphia. And he was talking about, you know, the rapture and uh, the end times. And he said, you know, uh, today he goes, you know, I feel like, you know, how I felt like in the seventies when I came to Jesus, I had this, this, this sense that God could come back, like in which he goes, he can. He goes, but I really, and, and Larry said that, you know, Pastor Joe went on to say, I feel like, you know, I mean, if we got six more months left, because it's just, I have this urgency in my spirit to tell everybody that I know about Jesus Christ, because I really believe that he's coming back 
soon. Not just because we live in the last days since, you know, Jesus ascended back into heaven. But he goes, but it was like when I first got saved in, in the 70s, you just had this, this sense in your spirit that, man, the time is short. And, and we need to make sure that people are hearing about the love of Jesus Christ and the forgiveness that's theirs because of the cross. And, and what's happening, we're seeing it in pockets, you know, in the United States. There is revival breaking out. There are people that are coming to a knowledge of Christ. Uh, I counsel people all the time and that don't necessarily go to church, but are friends of yours that, that you're ministering to that end up in my office. I had a great conversation just this last week. And I'm talking to, you know, young couples and I'm going, so, so what's happening? And they go, well, you know, Pastor Mike, I mean, we're just looking around and they go, something's up. You know, this isn't, uh, you know, we can't even put our finger on it, but we, but we know there's something spiritual going on. And, and I mean, I'm not talking about one or two or three people. I'm talking about dozens and dozens and dozens of people that just go this, you know, it's almost like they're going do, 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 do. They go, something's up. And so what they're doing is they're asking questions. They're, they're wanting people to help, you know, and people, oh, you know, no, no, this just happens. Like I was telling you in second Peter, oh, we just live, you know, in a closed system. I mean, they, whatever's happening always happens. And there, there's no cataclysmic event that's happened. No, nothing to punctuate, you know, from heaven, the activities of this life. And you go, that's what the world wants us to believe. But that's not true. And God's stirring the hearts of people, preparing them, because Jesus said, as we've talked about, he's coming back. There's more, there's more prophecy regarding the second coming, Jesus coming to this earth, you know, than there was even his first advent. And yet you hear so little about it. It's like we just go on and is, you know, as Jesus would tell us in the Mount of, you know, uh, uh, of olives, you know, that here we are living, he said, you know, like in the days of Noah, you know, people will be given in marriage, eating and drinking, da da. And you go, what was going on in the days of Noah? You go, well, one thing I know that was going on in the days of Noah is, is God prepared Noah before the rain. And you think about the church today is that are we prepared? Are we, are we living with this knowledge, this discernment that Paul talks about here in these first few verses here? You know, Oliver Wendell Holmes, he was a, an American jurist appointed to the Supreme Court under President Roosevelt. He once said this, he said, I would have entered the ministry, he said, if clergymen I know didn't look and act so much like undertakers. And you think about joy, you know, having, having joy in our life. I mean, are, is there real joy? I mean, think about of all the things that Paul's doing. He's in prison, okay? I want you to think about this. He's in prison and he's, he's overcome with joy. And you go, think about that. And, and I can only, the only thing that, as I was praying about that, is like, I can only remember back, and it, like I sh I've shared with you, it was 2013, and uh, I was riding my bike all the time. I'd done it for years, and, and I, I got to a point where I just started bonking. And so I'd ask my friend who owned the bike shop where I, where I shop, and I, I asked him, I said, you know, what, what should I do? And he goes, man, you just, you're riding so much. He goes, just take some time off. He goes, take a few months off. Don't even ride at all, and get back on your bike. So I did got back on my bike and I felt worse than I did before I got off. And, you know, like long story short, you know, I go to the doctor numerous times. They're like, no, nah, there's nothing wrong. Da, da, da. Next thing I find out, I've got 90% blockage in my left anterior descending artery. And I'm laying on a, on a hospital bed and, you know, operating table. And they tell me, hey, we failed. We can't, we can't do an angiogram. So we're just going to have to, you know, do bypass surgery and send you down to Cedar sinai And I remember, you know, laying there, not there, when I went back to the room, and I was laying there in the room, and all I could think about was, I didn't feel sorry for myself. 
I just wanted an opportunity to say thank you to, to a bunch of people that I needed to say thank you to. And it was the weirdest thing it, because it was just one of those, I go, Lord, you know that I need to thank so-and-so and so-and-so and so. And God just kept bringing these things to my mind. And I was just so thankful. And I just, you start doing that you, and I get it. I, I'm thinking, okay, if, if, if my life is close to being over here and um, what do I want to do before I go? And you go, man, I, I want to be thankful. I want to, I want to appreciate, uh, you know, the people that have made a difference. And that's what I thought about. And it wasn't like, you know, it was some great big spiritual moment. It wasn't until later on that the Lord really helped me to process it the way that I, I think the apostle Paul is here. He, he's at a point in his life, remember, he's in a Roman prison and he doesn't know his fate. He doesn't know if he's going to be beheaded or if he's going to be released. So he's, he's kind of at this place where he's having to really think this through. And, and again, and, there, and nothing is robbing him of that joy. Because like I said, as I'd lay there, it, it, mean, it, it brought tears to my eyes. I mean, I'm literally, I'm crying as I'm thinking about the people in my life, people that I, I had forgot completely about, that God had just quickened, who had made a difference in my life from my childhood all the way you know, to that moment. And, and those are the things, you know, like I said, that God stirs within our heart to remind us that, you know what? And I, all I kept saying, and I've said it many times since then, I laid there and I was going, God, I've had it so good. I go, I have had, if I died today, I told my wife that I go, honey, if, 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 you know, I mean, my doctor told me, he goes, Hey, Mike, unless you step off a curb and get hit by a bus, he goes, this is how you're going to probably go, you know? And I'm okay. So you, you're somewhat prepared for that. So I go, Hanny, I go, however, you know, whatever, just know I, and my kids, I mean, I've had these conversations. I, I go, I have lived a great life. I, I have had the opportunity to, to know God and, and to love him and to love his people and to share him and have so many people that have been in, in my life and that have made such a difference in my life. And I'm going, I have nothing to, nothing to complain about. I, there's nothing I go, God, I, I need more. You know, now you, you want to live longer, like for this purpose, as, as Paul would say, for me to live as Christ, God, for me to live one more day as another day to experience you, to know you in a different way than I've never known you before. You know, because to know him, you know, this age isn't how it was when I was 40. I need him a lot more today. You know, Lord, I just like that joke when somebody goes, hey, I've been down, you know, I'm, I'm older. So when I've been down, I'm more wise when I've been down. I ask people, I go, hey, is there anything I can get you while I'm down here? You know, you know, was talking to my brother-in-law yesterday. He's a, he's a mechanic. And uh, I was, saw him at uh, Chewy's and I was talking to him and I said, uh, hey, he goes, man, Mike, he goes, uh, it's so hard. He goes, when I'm working on a car, he goes, I used to be able just to pop up. He goes, now he goes, but he's smart. See, they say of the glory of young men is their wisdom, is their strength and of old men, it's their wisdom. It's their gray hair, right? He said, when he's, he's working underneath a car and he said, I'll grab onto the car. And he goes, now I hit the thing to raise the car up. And he goes, and as it raises the car up, he goes, it brings me with it. And I thought that was so good. You know, he goes, See, because when I was 20, because I used to pop right up, but, you know, not anymore. You know, now I use that auto jack, you know, that takes me up. But uh, uh, William Barclay, he said this. He said, the Christian is a man or a woman of joy. The Christian is a laughing cavalier of Christ. You know, and I think we would all say that, you know, that a joyful believer is an attractive believer. Amen. And people that just have joy in their life. My wife and I, uh, we went for a walk yesterday. We walked by a house that was having a, a yard sale. And my wife remarked as we left, there was one woman there in particular. And she goes, 
you know, I just love that woman. She goes, you can just look at her and you can see she just has joy. And when she talks, she goes, there's joy. And there was another lady here and she goes, and you know, that, you, know you didn't have to mention her, you know, she's just bitter. And, you know, and it comes out just, in, I mean, not just in her conversation, it comes out in the way that she looks. There is a joy that, you know, it's like being in love, you know, they go, hey, so, you know, it's that, you know, that glow, right? You know, no, but when somebody has authentic, real joy, it really is attractive and people are going, so, you know, what, 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 what are you doing? You know, what, what, what's working for you? You know, what, what are you eating? I, I want, I want, I want whatever you're eating. I want that too, you know, type of thing. And, uh, you know, again, I think of, you know, Nehemiah, remember when the, the walls were broken down there in Jerusalem and the people became discouraged, you know, after a period of time. And Nehemiah said to them, he said, don't, don't be dejected and sad. He said, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. Amen. The joy of the Lord is your strength, is, is finding that, you know, in, in the Lord. E. Stanley Jones, he was a missionary to India, and he said this, and I love this. And it reminds me of the Apostle Paul, because remember when Saul was a killjoy, right? I mean, he was a killer, killjoy. There in Acts chapter 9, you know, he it says, Saul, it says he breathed. When he breathed, he breathed, you know, insults. He breathed, you know, uh, persecution. It just, with every breath, everything that he did was to destroy the cause of Christ, right? And then he gets saved. And you think about this transformation, you know, and now all of a sudden he's not the, the, the apostle of killjoy, he's the apostle of joy. This transformation has taken place in his life. And it was E. Stanley Jones, he said this, he says, when I met Christ, this is one you might want to write down. He said, I felt that I had swallowed sunshine. I felt that I had swallowed sunshine. Can you say that about, you know, when you came to know, can you think back to when you came to know Jesus? You go, man, I felt like I swallowed sunshine. I shared this, you know, uh, before with you, um, that, you know, of a Muslim said, you know, that many Muslims said when a Muslim gets saved, it says they see color for the very first time because everything was so rigid, so black and white. And then to receive God's grace is to see color. I like what Pastor Skip Heitzig said about the, the joy of the Apostle Paul. He said this, and this Saul of Tarsus, now Paul the Apostle, says God changes him, and he changes him from legalism to lightheartedness. And so what he's talking about, he's talking about keeping the laws and the rules and the regulations like eating and drinking. He says, you know you would not uh, drink certain things. You would not eat certain things. And he finally says in Romans 14, he says, for the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but righteousness, peace, and joy. He says, as C.S. Lewis put it so well, joy is the serious business of heaven. Paul started, you know, getting real serious about joy in his life, making joy, you know, not just part of his life, but what his life was really all about. And like I said, this is probably about 62 AD when, when, uh, Paul writes this letter, and uh, again, he's wanting to just really express his thanks, and that's how he begins, you know, this book, and he wants the church to grow in their health, uh, you know, as a people, a people of God. Uh, the theme of this book, and you know, and I always encourage you when you read it, you think about what book can I go to, is when you think about the book of Philippians, the theme of this book is joy. It's the joy of God. And, and again, and it's not a, a joy that, that is talking about, you know, being more positive or having this like sense of emotional happiness. Uh, it's not just, it's not a mentality, you know, it's not like thinking, well, you know, life could be worse. So I just need to, 
to think better. No, it's not just, you know, positive thoughts because, you know, our joy is connected to a person. Our joy has a name. Our joy's name is Jesus. Amen. And that's really where our joy comes from. Like I said, 40 times, okay, 40 times Paul uses the name Jesus Christ in this book. You know, again, like I said, happy has to do with our, our physical circumstances, but joy is a lot deeper. Our joy is found in Jesus. But understand this, and, you, and I really encourage you to, to write this down or lock in on this, what I'm about to tell you. Um, as I shared this with you before, and it's just one of those things I think we forget, joy is never found by direct pursuit. You might want to write that down. Joy is never found by direct pursuit. It's a byproduct. And all you have to do is go read Galatians chapter 5 about the fruit of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, right? So fruit, you can't produce that. It is a byproduct of your relationship with Jesus Christ. And I think this is where most people make the mistake because they start to try to pursue joy and you can't. It's a byproduct. It comes to you by virtue of a relationship. Billy Sunday put it like this. He said, if you have no joy, there's a leak in your Christianity somewhere. <laughs> I like that. So why, why study this book? You know, like I said, being still in a COVID situation where you feel like you're on your last nerve, you've, you know, it's like, I feel like, Popeye sometimes, you know, I've taken all that I can take and I what? I can't take it anymore. You know, you just feel like, you feel like you're at, you're just, you're there, you're at the end of it, right? I mean, so much so that even with regard to safety and health, there's some people that just go, listen, I don't even care anymore. You go, well, you know, there's still COVID out there. You could still die. I don't even care. I'm tired of being locked up. You know, I'm tired of, and they just, you reach a place where you don't make good decisions. Well, Paul is saying, you know, hey, we, we need to pray for what? knowledge we need to pray for discernment where does that come from from god from the pursuit of god look there in in verse one you know with me he says paul and timothy bond servants of jesus christ he says to all the saints in christ jesus who are in philippi with the bishops and the deacons he's talking about you know a bond servant there he doesn't say the apostle paul he's not bringing correction he talks about being a bond servant remember and a bond servant you know is someone who again if you go back and if you're a note taker you might write this down in exodus chapter 21 it's when you had a debt that you couldn't pay you could go to the person who you owed the debt to and you and you could come to an agreement to work it off in, in Jewish law, you could only work for that person for six years. And in the seventh year, they had to release you. But if during that six years of working for, you know, you're now master, you made yourself a slave to them, you determined that you loved your master and that really serving your master was better than living life on your own. You could then go to your master and say, you know, I want to make myself a bond servant. It's something that you did willfully. You weren't forced into it. It was an act of love. And you could go, and then we read about in the Old Testament, they would go down to the city gate, remember, and they would take your ear, and they would put it up to the wooden uh, part of the gate, and they would take an awl, and they would drive it through it, just like making a pierced ear. And, and you became a bondservant for the rest of your life to your master. But it was an act of love, and it was an act of, act of desire. It was something that you did of your own free will. And so Paul is saying of his relationship with God, he goes, I'm a bondservant of Christ. He goes, he didn't force me into this. I'm not a slave to him in that regard. I make myself a bondservant to him because I love my master. And the life that I have found in him is better than any life that I could have 
apart from him. That, that's what he wants us to understand here. And so, you know, that word saints there uh, is interesting as well in verse one. There's so much, you know, we can glean from this. Uh, it's, the, it's the Greek word uh, hagios, and it means holy. It means set apart specifically for God's use here. Again, you became a saint. You know, I was raised Catholic. You know, you had to die to become a saint. Uh, but, you know, if you're, if you're a believer today, God calls you a saint. You, you are a saint. You think about that. Actually, you need to say that. Turn to somebody that's next to you and go, you know, I'm, I'm a saint. I just want you to know, regardless of what you think about me, I am a saint. Yeah. Now, and, and you think about what is it? It's, it's, not, it's not about trying to be holy. Uh, again, it's being in Christ. That's what it is. It's not, it's not something you're attempting to be. It's something you already are it's your, by your position in Christ Jesus. Again, it's not who you are, but what? Whose you are. That's what makes you a saint. Verse 2 goes on. It says, And grace to you and peace from God our Father and Lord Jesus Christ. Always those are together. Like twin sisters we read. Grace and peace and grace always comes first because you cannot have peace with God apart from the grace of God. It's not something you can work your way up to. It's not something that you can manage within yourself. It's undeserved, unmerited favor. And Paul, when he uses grace and peace, he does it deliberately there. When he think, you think about the word uh, grace, it comes from the Greek word charis. Again, so he has a Greek audience there, the word peace, shalom, from a Jewish audience. So he sees both of those and how they, they would work together there. Grace and peace. And so he says in verse three, I thank my God upon every remembrance of you. You know, so I, I have my notes here. Question, do you want joy in your life? True, lasting joy. Like I said, be thankful. That's what Paul's doing. He's just counting his blessings. If you, if you, if you would say today, be honest with yourself, you go, man, I lack joy in my life today. First thing I'd tell you to do, you want more joy in your life? Be thankful. Sit down today, and if you need to get a piece of paper out and make a list, what are all the things that you could be thankful for today? And you'll find the more thankful you become, the more joyful you will become. And again, Paul basically, you know, it's like I said, he's looking at it and he's going, man, I just, I never had the chance to tell you. You know, when I was with you, I didn't have the chance. We were too busy. Sometimes people will do that. Have you ever got a letter or a note from somebody after you did something for them? Maybe you hosted a birthday party in your home or, you know, anniversary party or you had some kind of get together and you had people over and you're just busy, you know, as the host or hostess, right? And then later on, somebody writes you and they just say, hey, I just want to tell you, you know, we were so busy at that thing, but I wanted to tell you this. And, and, and that's exactly what Paul's saying. He was busy in the ministry. You think about, you know, I mean, here's a guy who wrote two-thirds in the New Testament, but God put him in that prison, gave him an opportunity to what? To slow the pace a little bit. And in the midst of that, ministry was still happening. He didn't become self-absorbed. It wasn't all about Paul. It was always about other people. Again, we see that. Have the same mind that was in you that was in Christ. Prefer other people better than ourselves. Paul loves people. He loves the church. Every prayer that he prays, he prays that it would bring them joy and it would bring him joy. Verse four goes on. It says, always in every prayer of mine, making requests for you with all joy. What, what is Paul saying there? He's going, man, I talk to God all the time, <laughs> all the time about you, you know? 
to be able to say, hey, I pray for you all the time. You know, when I send a, a note to somebody, this is probably the thing, if, if I've written you, you probably got this at the bottom of the card. Always put Philippians 1.3, I thank my God upon every remembrance of you. Verse 5 goes on, it says, for your fellowship in the gospel from this day forward until now, you know, is understand that they were partners with Paul in the gospel. We're partners together, you and me. Partners in the gospel for Jesus Christ. You think about that. I like that expression. I've shared it with you before. You know, Christianity in the United States has become more like American football, where you have 11 men out on the field desperate in desperate need of, of rest while you have 50,000 people, not COVID times, but 50,000 people in the stadium in desperate need of exercise. <laughs> It's like the Pareto principle, you know, in, in any church, in any business, it's usually, you know, 80% uh, of the work gets done by 20% of the people, you know, it, it's, it's just consistent there. But again, it's unfortunate, but it's that way in many churches is that, you know, there's just a small group of people uh, who do most of the work and they get exhausted. And usually when they get exhausted, they fall away. Uh, they don't just go, hey, I'm going to take a break as they just burn out. And, and that's a really unfortunate thing. We're supposed to be a partnership. You know, as Paul said, that we stir one another up we, in love and good works. We understand our gifts. We grow in our gifts and what. And everybody does their fair share. And so you have to ask yourself today, you know, are you a partner in the ministry? Are you doing your fair share? Verse 6 goes on. It says, being confident of this very thing, that he has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. Question again, do you want more joy in your life? Be confident in Jesus. Because you think about that. Be confident in Jesus that he's begun this good work. You know, have you ever, not, you don't need to admit this, but you know, have you ever said, man, that person, they're a real piece of work. You know, you go, yeah, that's a piece of work right there. You go, well, we, we are all a piece of work. You know, that, that's the thing that we have to understand. You know, God knew what he was getting when he got uh, Mike Ostheimer, okay? He knew I was a project, okay? He, he knew there was, he, he knew exactly what he was getting, okay? There wasn't anything hidden. He didn't get buyer's remorse, you know, when he got home like we get. He, he knew the good, bad, and the ugly from the very get-go. And what does he promise? I'll complete the work. And some of you need to hear that today because you're giving up on yourself. Whether all the things that have happened during COVID and you've seen your own failures and your frailties, you've seen you know, your anxiety and the things that how it's really impacted your, your faith in a very negative way. And you wonder, you know, where God is in all this. And you go, and he's still right there. You know, progress isn't linear. You know, he's working. He has begun this good work, will complete it. And when will he complete it? Until the day of Jesus Christ. Until the day you meet him face to face. And when you meet him face to face, guess what? You get a perfect body, a perfect mind. Everything will be made perfect in that day. And until that day, God is working in your life. The problem is we get impatient with ourselves, don't we? You ever started something and not finished it? Raise your hand. You ever started something? Anybody have a project right now you're looking at and you're like, oh my God, you know, put something in front of it to block the view of it, you know, things. It's just, that's life, but it's not God. Thank God, amen, that he who has begun this good work in you will complete it. Uh -huh. Yeah. He never quits. If God starts something, he finishes it. And I say that for your comfort today, because again, if you have opened your heart to him, you go, I'm just not growing at the rate that I want to. I'm not progressing the way that I want. He who has begun this good work in you, he will 
completed. Maybe you're like me growing up when I'd get a splinter. I'd sit there before my mom, my mom, I got a splinter. And she'd, she'd get a needle and she'd go, we had an electric stove and she would take it over there and hold that needle on the stove and it'd turn all red, right? I'm thinking, she's not sticking that thing in my finger. And she'd blow on it, you know, which put all the bacteria back on it, you know. And then, um, and then she, she would start to poke my finger. And, and sure enough, she'd poke me every time. And she would blame me. She'd say, well, quit moving, you know, because I'm moving. You know, it's like, you know, it's like, and, and, I, and sometimes this is how the Lord works. He brings that back to my mind. It's like, he's going, Mike, quit moving. Quit moving. It's like, trust me. And I go, God, it's going to hurt. And he's, he didn't say that it wasn't going to hurt. My mom never said it wasn't going to hurt. She's saying, trust me. You know, my mom loved me and she had my best interest in mind, but she never said it wasn't going to hurt. God didn't say that it wasn't going to hurt. Verse seven goes on. It says, just as it's right for me to think of uh, you all because I have you in my heart and as much as both in my chains and the defense and confirmation of the gospel, you all are partakers with me of grace. What he's saying is I'm not alone in this. So how can you be sure? You know, I want to give you that confidence. How can you be sure that God is working in you? There's really two ways you could know that God is working in you today. There's two indicators that would be in your life. One, you stand up for the gospel. You know, when people challenge the gospel, you're not afraid to stand up for the gospel. Hey, you know, the Bible says this, this is what, you know, this is what God says. The second is you share the gospel or you spread the gospel is that you see opportunities. You go, you know, that's, that's how God is working in your life because you, before you were against it, look what's happening in the world today. The world is against the gospel. And yet those who are in Christ Jesus then stand up for the gospel. And then, like I said, then look for the opportunity to share the gospel. That's exactly what happened in the apostle Paul's life. You think about, you know, how do we, how do we do that? You know, when you think about there, there really, I, I put in my notes, I want to close with this you know, from Paul's heart to these fellow Christians, he gives three reasons, you know, that we should have uh, an affection for one another, an affection for the, the, the church. Number one is we, we, we share in God's grace. It's something that's a shared experience. And you'll learn this in life. Shared experiences foster shared, you think about this, shared experiences foster shared affections. When you go through something really tough with other people, it, it does what? It bonds you together, doesn't it? That's one of the, the great mysteries and the blessings of the church. We go through tremendous highs and tremendous lows, but we go through them together. And what does God do? He forges us. It's like, it's like he, he melts us together by his grace, by his love. There's no, you know, again, greater, no more life-changing shared experience than being adopted into the family of God, would you say? I mean, we deserved hell. I mean, we are, we are sinners saved by God's grace. And then to know that God loved us and that he gave himself for us. There is no bigger shared experience that you could ever have on this planet. See, this isn't a, this isn't a, a near-death experience. Like somebody, oh, in life, we go, oh, man, we had a near-death experience. You're on a plane, right? And that plane, you know, lost an engine like last week, you know, on the United flight. And you're looking out, imagine that thing's on fire. You know, what are you thinking? You know, you might not know the sign of the cross, but you knew it then. You know, all of a sudden it's like, God, please. And then you get off and said, what do you do? They're perfect strangers on that plane, right? They're hugging each other because yeah, it was a shared experience. And it fostered this shared, you know, affection for one another. And you think about 
our lives as Christians. It wasn't near death. We were dead, the Bible says. We were dead in our trespass and sin. What would happen in the life of any church if we all lived that way every day? If we just went, you know what? If I got what I deserved every day of my life, it'd be hell. It would be total, complete separation from God. But God loved me so much that he saved me and he's given me eternal life. Would I be so critical of you or so hard on you? You go, no, we forget that. And so Paul's going, you know what? <laughs> you want to have affection? You want to maintain affection for one another? <laughs> Understand grace. Grow in grace. Share God's grace. The second thing that we also, we share in God's sanctifying work. If you go back to verse six there for a second, he who's begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Christ. Again, by being around each other, growing together, you know, we get to witness God's transformation in each other's lives. You know, somebody go, man, you go, like, you know, they could still say, you know, you, you're an idiot, you know, or you're, you know, a buffoon or, you know, people, even in the church, they go, you really, they say that and they go, oh yeah. And you go, but here's the thing. If somebody says the most caustic negative thing about you, you know what you can say? You can go, yeah, you should have seen me five years ago. <laughs> if, if you think I'm this bad right now, man, he has begun a good work. I mean, you should have, you, you don't know what I was. And that's the problem is that we think, you know, everybody should be at a different place, a different level, not realizing where they came from or where they're going, right? But most of the time we just forget our, ourselves. It's like old expression that says, you know, I'm not holier than thou. I'm just holier than I used to be. And it's really true. Coming together as a church allows us to see, see for ourselves, to see with our own eyes, the body of Christ, different gifts, different skills, all working together. Verse number, or verse eight says, for God is my witness, how greatly I long for you with all the affection of Jesus Christ. And he's going, God's my witness. God knows my heart. I love you. I love you. And he's, he's not afraid to, to say it. He's not afraid to show it. Verse nine goes on. It says, and this I pray that your love may abound still more and more in the knowledge of all discernment. So the third thing you know, that we see there is we share in the growing in God's agape love. You know, that same grace that saves us is the same grace that empowers us and energizes us to live a holy life before God and before one another. And that's his prayer for the church, that our love would abound. You know, Jesus is the standard. It's not, you know, we're not gauging it on somebody else. Jesus is the standard. God's love, we could say it knows no limit. First Corinthians 13, 8, love never fails. And he says to grow in that knowledge and all discernment because they're, they're linked together. And again, he's linking, you know, knowing the truth with applying the truth. And so he joins, what does the Bible teach and how does the truth affect my daily life? Because that's what should happen as we grow in knowledge and discernment. It should improve the quality of our life, which would do what? It will increase our joy, the joy that we have in Jesus. The more knowledge that we have of God, the more discernment we'll have. That's what we were talking about in, in Peter, right? Of living in these last days of doing what? Being able through the word of God, discerning the times in which we live. That's why we can still have joy. Why? Because we can know God's in control, right? We know it's all going to burn. So what? We can focus on the things that matter most, and that's the Lord himself. Verse 10, that says, that we may approve the things that are excellent, that you may be sincere without offense till the day of Christ. So what is he telling us? Aim, aim for excellence. Don't just aim for what's lawful. Remember, Paul said all things are lawful, but not all things are profitable, right? I said, I'll be mastered by nothing. So don't waste your life. 
you know, prison for Paul was a great place to evaluate in his life what was hot, you know, what was really was important. A hospital was for me. I don't know what it is for you. Whatever circumstance you know, that you're in, God can use that for his glory. That our lives would be what? It would be sincere. You know, and that word sincere uh, in the Greek, it's sinceria, means without wax. Remember, you know, can you imagine this? You know, that you were a, uh, someone who worked with pottery and you'd been spending three years, you know, chiseling away at something, working with granite or something. And then at the end of three years, all of a sudden you hit it with that, <laughs> that hammer and all of a sudden it cracked, right? And this is your livelihood, right? You've spent three years working on this thing. Do you just cast it aside? You go, no, you know what they did? They filled it in with wax, right? And then they buffed over it. They hid it. They hid the imperfections. And we can try to do the same thing. So what Paul is saying is, hey, be sincere. What he's saying is just who you are on the inside, be the same on the outside. Don't be, don't be fake. Just be real. Just be who, who God created you to be. Don't, don't be something that you're not. We are sinners saved by God's grace. You don't have to fill the cracks of your life with wax in hopes that nobody sees. No, what we need to do is come clean. What we need to do is confess our faults one to another that we might be healed. You know, it's a beautiful thing. It's a call to holiness. We close with this. Verse 11 says, being filled with the fruits of righteousness, which are by Jesus Christ to the glory and the praise of God. So here's the key this morning. As we close, what fragrance does your life put off? What fragrance does your life put off? Goodness, righteousness. You know, I always crack up. <laughs> I said, you know, my wife and I started going back to the gym after the first of the year. My wife, she'll get in the truck and she'll go. I go, what? And she goes, man, it stinks in here. I go, I don't smell anything. <laughs> Isn't that our problem? We, none of us, we don't, we don't know that we stink. We need somebody else to go, you're like Lazarus. You, 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 you stink. In love, you, you stink. And, 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 it, and it's fun. We have, you know, do you have someone in your life that can tell you that, that you stinketh? I mean, in a loving way without getting punched or, you know, getting, you know, whatever. You know, I, I love it. I, I love, I love our staff. Um, you know, when you, you live and you're around people, you know, all the time, <laughs> I'm sitting there, uh, was it Thursday or so? And, uh, one of our staff people, you know, I'm not going to mention them. Just, they come up and they, they're looking at me and they go, Hey, um, hold still. So I'm holding still. And they go like this. And they go, come on. He goes, man, is, are you that old that you got a four inch hair for on your eyebrow? And I'm like, I, I didn't know I had it. He goes, that's because you're blind because you can't see. And I go, well, thank you. You know, thank you. You know, and <laughs> I just started laughing. You know, I was like, I go, God, has it come to that? You know, I got my hair cut last week and the, the, the gal at the hair salon, whatever she says, uh, Hey, do you want me to trim your ears? It totally caught me off guard. I was like, what? And she goes, the hair in your ears. I go, do I have hair in my ears? She goes, yeah. I go, well, absolutely. I go, <laughs> I go, she goes, do you not see it? And I <laughs> guess not, <laughs> you know, but it's just that, you know, and 
that we would have that kind of love and care for one another. We all have blind spots, amen? And that, that we would have that kind of affection for one another. Not We're not trying to, you know, uh, we're not pointing out the spot, so to speak, is that we're spot lifters in each other's lives, that we pray for one another, that we love for one another, we care for one another. Because you know what? You can read the news and you can watch the news and you're seeing a world that, that is full of hate. And you go, and people, it's, it's hard to even watch that after a while. But what a, a wonderful thing it is when you get a group of people like this who come together every week and look at all different walks of life. We come from all, you know, shapes, colors, sizes, forms, ages, and that we can share in something that's so central in Jesus Christ in our life. And when our focus becomes him and being pleasing to him, it's how we become pleasing to one another. Amen. And it's such a wonderful thing. And I know there's so much to glean. Like I said, I'm, we're just kind of hitting the high points of this as we go, but I want to encourage you to read this book and, uh, if, if you're looking you know, for more joy in your life, it, it is a blueprint for joy. And uh, I know that as you do, the Lord will, will show you just tons of things. But I really believe that it just starts with being thankful. Just thankful to God and thankful for one another. Amen. Let's stand to our feet. We'll close in prayer. Father, we thank you for your word and thank you for the privilege that you do give us each and every week, Lord, to come together, to, to love on each other, to pray for one another. And Lord, may we, as we move forward uh, this year, may we spend a lot more time praying for one another and loving each other. Uh, Lord, we, we've seen the effects of, of COVID-19 and the impact on the body of Christ in many ways of, of not being able to come together and, and what it's done in the lives of so many people uh, to feel isolated and alone. And yet, Lord, it's just caused many of us to appreciate all the more uh, the beauty of the body of Christ, the church, and how, whether the world says we're essential or not, that Lord, we, we see it, how essential it is that we are able to come together to love one another and to be a reflection in each other's lives of you. And so Lord, we thank you. Thank you for the church. We thank you for giving your life for her. If that's how much and how important the church is that you would die to give her life. And so Lord, we want so much to be all that you want us to be. And so we ask you, Lord, as we go from this place today, fill us, Lord, with your grace. Fill us with your love, Lord. Love for you, love for one another, love for the world around us, not, not to be like the world, but to love and care, Lord, for the lost of this world. That you give us opportunity this week, whether it's in prison or in hospitals, wherever we might find ourselves, Lord, that we might share the life and the love of Jesus with those that we come in contact with. For your glory, God, we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.